Welcome, everyone. This is New Ideal Live, the video and podcast series of New Ideal, the journal of the Ayn Rand Institute. My name is Ilan Jerno, and in a moment, I'll be joined by my colleague Onkar Gatte. On this series, we discuss complex issues and events shaping the world today from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism, philosophy that upholds the ideals of reason, individualism, and capitalism. You can learn more about our journal, New Ideal, by going to newideal.einrand.org and read our articles, watch our videos, and listen to our podcast. And if you're interested, you can join us on Zoom right now to submit your questions and be part of the Q&A. We hope to have a lot of questions today on our topic. Go to zoom.us slash join. The meeting ID is 812-506-718. And we're also broadcasting on Facebook and YouTube. If you guys want to submit questions, I'll be looking at the YouTube in particular. And uh, we hope to bring in as many questions as we can, because I think our topic is going to provoke lots of questions. We, we know that we've seen uh, uh, people reacting to it. So the topic today is shaming recipients of PPP money. PPP stands for the Payroll Protection Program, which is part of the CARES Act, which was the response to the pandemic crisis, the government uh, rolled out a massive multi-billion dollar uh, uh, package to to help small businesses, particularly in the PPP, the payroll protection program is to help keep employees on staff rather than letting them go amid the economic uh, crisis that we're facing. So what made this topic really timely for us is that uh, the Ayn Rand Institute has become part of this story and that what actually happened is that it's, it's, it's funny because it's, it's not really news, but I'll get to that in a moment. So we, uh, on Monday, on July 6th, the, the Small Business Administration revealed, it, it published a database of all the companies that received money under the PPP program. So there are hundreds and hundreds of companies in the, and it also lists the sort of the range of how much money each com- company or organization received. And so, as you can imagine, journalists looked at this list and they went through it and they looked for names that, uh, you know, they, they, they can make a story out of. And one of the things that happened on Monday, uh, you can see this tweet from one of the journalists at the Wall Street Journal. I believe he covers uh, bankruptcy, so it's a natural topic for him to look at the PPP data. And he posts this on Twitter. Uh, it says, the Ayn Rand Institute received a PPP loan between 350000 to $1 million. And then there was a, an uproar on Twitter, hundreds and hundreds of people, thousands of people retweeting, commenting, and reacting to this. Uh, we watched this with interest and in, in various reactions we can talk about. And, but this became an even bigger story in, in sort of the hours that followed. We, we, were, we got a lot of questions from the media and we reacted and responded to them and offered them our, our, our scholars to interview and so on. Uh, there were articles in the New York Times. This is a Reuters piece I'm showing on screen now. The title is, In a Sign of the Times, Ayn Rand Institute Approved for PPP Loan. Uh, and then, so this explodes. You, you, you see articles in MSNBC or CNBC, excuse me. There's an article in Forbes, Huffington Post. I believe there's going to be articles in the Washington Post soon. It, it basically created this big news story. 
Esquire was in on it. I mean, it's it's really hard to cover all the names of the outlets that were in this uh, on this topic. And it wasn't just the Ayn Rand Institute. There are various organizations that have been sort of singled out as, isn't this interesting? Or, or you know, why are these people on uh, part of the PPP program? So uh, just to cap off sort of the summary of where we are and why there's an issue about uh, sort of reacting to people receiving PPP money and this shaming phenomenon, um, so on the screen, I'm showing uh, a clip from Twitter. So this is Paul Krugman, a Nobel laureate in economics, a really prominent uh, public intellectual. He writes for the New York Times, a column. And you, you can see he's got 4.5 million, uh, 4.6 million people following him on Twitter. And he found, it's interesting to think about how he noticed this tweet, but he picked this tweet up from the Wall Street Journal reporter and he added his own commentary uh, what I take to be high sarcasm here, A is a non-contradiction. That's his commentary in repeating this. So I want to bring Ankar in. Ankar, join us uh, for the discussion. So we talk about this a bit more. So hi, Ankar. Um, so I guess well, one one thing that I wanted to just give as part of the context is that while I presented this as sort of a big news story since Monday, we're, we're speaking on Wednesday today, uh, July 8. Uh, so this is really become a big media storm. And one of the reactions I had was amusement because we were, you and I were sitting here doing a webinar on April 22nd, talking about publicly stating the Institute's, uh, why we would take PPP money, why we would apply for it and what, what we would use it for and, and the, the principal reason for doing so. So in our, from our perspective, we were out there publicly explaining this to people. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it shouldn't really be news. Uh, and there's really no revelation here. We, we've been trying to get attention for this. So you wrote an article with uh, one of our board members, Harry Binswanger, which was written around the same time in April, but we, it took a while before we, we published it. We were trying to uh, shop it around. And the title is To Take or Not to Take, which articulates, I think, really clearly our reason. So what I thought would be helpful, just as sort of presenting our view on this and why how we became part of the story, just if you could summarize, what is the key argument you guys made in that piece for people who haven't read? And I think I want to encourage everyone who's watching today or listening on the podcast, go read these articles. We'll put them in the show notes, Ankar uh, and Harry Binswanger's article, and also watch the webinar if you're interested. But just give us kind of a, a, a quick snapshot so we, we get sort of the Institute's perspective on this. Uh, do you want to stop the screen share before we get... And I know you want to start it again, but yeah. uh, yes. So the so there is an issue in this sense that we at the Ayn Rand Institute were advocating for a certain set of ideas for a philosophy called objectivism, originated by Ayn Rand. And as any real philosophy, it has a view about the nature of politics, of political philosophy, of proper government organization what the foundational principle of proper political organization is. For objectivism, and so for ARI, what we advocate is government that is dedicated to the protection of individual rights, to every individual's right to life, liberty, property, the pursuit of happiness, to take, to take the classic formulations at the time of the founding. What that means is government has a, a delimited function. Its function is, is the Declaration of Independence puts it, is to secure and protect these rights. 
Governments are instituted among men to secure these rights. If you take seriously what these principles mean, what government should be doing, it the whole welfare state is illegitimate from the perspective if you take seriously individual rights it means you take seriously every individual's right to earn and keep the property that they've earned and what the welfare state is is taking property from some people who earned it and giving it to other people i mean the simplest example of what the welfare state programs are is social security because it's not encumbered by all kinds of regulations like in healthcare and so on. It's what social security, if you really realistically look at it, what when it was instituted, it took money from young people and gave it to people at retirement age. And what it said is, look, what we promise when you young people get to retirement age, we're going to find other young people that new the new generation to take money from them and give it to you. And we're just going to keep doing this ad uh, as, as the years progress. That's what it is. So it takes from some people, gives to others. If you take seriously property rights, that's not a function of government. It should be protecting the people who earn the money that they earn, not taking it and giving it to other people. So if you're then against the whole welfare state and all these welfare state programs, there is a question. When these programs are enacted, they're enacted against your opposition. And you're saying, no, the government should not be doing this. But they get enacted. Social security gets enacted. Unemployment insurance gets enacted. Can you participate in these programs? And this is a question in various forms that Ayn Rand got throughout her lifetime when she was a public speaker, a public intellectual. And she wrote an article, very interesting and thought-provoking article on this. Yeah, you put, you've put it up there, the question of scholarships. And what she argues there, I mean, there's a lot, so this isn't all that she argues, but one, one key idea is that you can participate in these programs if you oppose them. And she says, yes, this sounds paradoxical, but she says the, the fault lies with the contradictions in the welfare state system, not with its victims. So that you can participate in these programs if you oppose them means that you can say, look, you're taking an every paycheck of mine, you're taking things and you're putting it supposedly in savings, but you're just spending it for social security. <clears throat> if now the only people who can claim social security when they get to retirement age are the people either who don't care that government's doing this or actively wanted government to take from some people and give to other people, if they're the only people who can get now social security, you're double victim. It's a double injustice. They've taken money from you, and now you're not allowed to be one of the recipients of this when you reach retirement age because you oppose the programs. And her view is, no, that's self-inflicted injustice. You are making a martyr of yourself, and all you're doing is penalizing, if you're really genuinely opposed to these programs and you understand why they're wrong, you're penalizing the good in order to aid the indifferent or the evil. So either people who don't care that these programs take from uh, people and give to other people so they violate the right to property or actively advocated for this violation of the right to property. And she said, this is not legitimate to view it as now when you're in this coercive situation that you can't participate in these programs because you oppose them or if you use the reverse, you can only participate in these programs if you oppose them.
So I, I wanted to just draw one other element of this. Um, I, and I'd encourage people who want the fuller articulation to read Ayn Rand's article, which I put on the screen, The Question of Scholarships, which is available on AynRand.org on our website. Also read Onkar and Harry Binswanger's article, To Take or Not to Take on NewIdeal.org. And if you're interested in the discussion we had on this originally, uh, you can find that in our podcast stream and on our website. Um, I want to remind people we're taking questions, so we'd love to take your questions uh, at any point uh, on YouTube where we have the super chats. If you want to elevate your question to the top of the queue, that would be great. And I'll be looking at the questions as well on Zoom if you want to join us there. Uh, so, so having, so this is what you are, so, you know, this is, these are points we made in April. Right. You put this in the article in, in, you published it in May, but it was, we had written it and we were actually shopping it with various uh, publications and we decided not to pursue that route um, throughout April and May. So um, I, I, that's part of what I found amusing in this, which is it's, it's a non-revelation. I mean, we were openly telling people, now I know there are companies and organizations that are very sheepish about it right now. They feel embarrassed. And this goes to this kind of phenomenon of shaming. So I, we were, I described sort of what we experienced in the sense that we became part of the story, the Institute became part of the story, but it's not only the Institute, there are various organizations and, and companies now where you get sort of different arguments about, oh, so, you know, your, your company has a, a millionaire owner and he's a very high profile. Why did you take money? Or you're a cruise line or you're, you know, you're a, um, a very well-funded organization. Well, you're not a small business. And so there's people questioning, um, uh, uh, sort of wh why people took it. And I think with, uh, with the Institute, it's it, what, what you see in the Twitter thread. So I, I for whatever sort of uh, reactions it elicited, I read through every single thing that people wrote because I was interested uh -huh. to see. So a couple of threads were, you guys are hypocrites because you stand for capitalism and you, you're, so you're now selling out. Another one was just, it's ironic. And I think, I, I, I don't know that people fully understand what irony is and that they think they don't know much about Ayn Rand, so this is sort of at that level of headlines. But I want to sort of dig into this phenomenon of uh, the shaming of people, and including the Institute, but not only the Institute. And I think there's something really uh, problematic, and it's not just on Twitter, because it's obviously news articles and so on. So let's take on head on this question. What would it look like to be a hypocrite on this kind of issue? Um, so t t the charge of hypocrisy is that you advocate one thing and then either um, behind in another context behind someone's back is that you say something different. So it's you say one thing to person A, you say another thing to person B, you're a hypocrite, you don't really have a position, you say whatever um, is most convenient at the time. So that's one kind of hypocrisy. It can also be that you say something and act in a different way. So here, if there's a charge of hypocrisy, part of what is interesting when you look at the, the, these comments is it's never explained what the hypocrisy, it's taken as self-evident what the hypocrisy is. It's never explained. Hypocrisy would be if we advocated against the welfare state, which we do, and we, and, and, and we advocate against the welfare state on principle. So we're against social security, we're against Medicare, we're against public education. Um, so we're against all kinds of things that the government is funding by saying, okay, these people need it. So we're going to take from some other people, they need schools or they need healthcare or they need retirement. So we're going to take it for some people and give it to them. We're across the board. We're against that. 
and have articulated our position many times in many forums and so on this. If we then started advocating for certain welfare state programs and certain government powers, so if in the pandemic, if we advocated, okay, but, but no, we've got a pandemic, so now government has to have absolute power. It has to be able to shut down whole states and tell people who can come out of their house and who can't and so on. And then, yeah, okay, that does a lot of damage. So they have to pass trillion dollars in, in relief packages and so on. If we started advocating for that, then someone could say, okay, you guys are hypocrites. It's you're against the welfare state, except when you think you need it and, it, it, and now you're advocating for it. But we never advocated for any of that. Indeed, we advocated against these things. We advocated against these government coercive statewide lockdowns. The government shouldn't have this power. We advocated against these spending sprees that resulted. You wouldn't need them if government didn't shut down whole states. So in that, we're not, we don't haven't advocated some inconsistent position. So then the hypocrisy has to be, okay, so our action is somehow inconsistent with what we've been saying. But we have never said that uh, if government coercively imposes certain welfare state schemes, we will never participate in them. And we would never say that because it goes against our philosophy. That's part of what we talked about. Ayn Rand argued that if you have a proper understanding of integrity and justice, it's only if you oppose these programs can you participate in them. And you should, because you should view it as partial restitution for all the damage these welfare state programs do to you. And the damages aren't just taxes taken from you. It's the whole regulatory scheme they create um, they create how you have to employ people and now, okay, I can't, I have to give them health care and so on. So that makes it really costly to employ people. There's so much complications these things uh, do, so much damage to free people. So if you view it as partial restitution, you should apply for it. Because if you don't, it only goes to the people ultimately who are advocating for these kinds of things. So our position has never been that, oh, we're against the welfare state. And so if the, the people who champion the welfare state, if they start getting their programs enacted, we will never do anything. And I, I mean, people criticize Ayn Rand because she took social security. Um, it's, she stated explicitly why on principle it's proper to do that. I've paid social security and you've paid it for decades and decades. If the program isn't bankrupt when I retire, I'm going to apply for it. And I do not view that as I've advocated something differently or now I'm acting in a way that is different from what I've said before. So if you actually look into it, there is no, you, they can't make the argument that there's some kind of hypocrisy here. So they're relying on that it's obvious that it's, there's some kind, something wrong here, some kind of hypocrisy. And that tells you something about the motive that is, I think, actually going on in the shaming. They're not actually investigating. So did you advocate something and now are acting differently? Or did you advocate one thing and now you're advocating something else? They're not really concerned with that. They're concerned, and this goes to, you brought up, yeah, we were, we said openly that we're applying for this. We asked and because this, it, it, in, for some outlets the, and newspapers and so on, there was some discussion of should people apply for this. So we shopped around our article saying, look, this is our perspective. Do you want to take it? It wasn't a story then. So the story is not that we applied. 
The story is that we got funds that we received. That's what galls people that we got. And so that tells you something about the motive. And we can talk about that. And yeah. it's true that there's other organizations. Let me just make one other point. It's true that there's other organizations. So we're not the only people being criticized, but it's significant that we're in the headlines. So like when is Ayn Rand makes the headlines, but when does the Ayn Rand Institute make headlines in the New York Times? Um, and it, we're in the head, Ayn Rand Institute took, even got money. That's significant that we're being singled out like that now. That tells you also something about what is going on. So I want to get into that question because we have a question about the motivation of the shamers. And I think that's something you, we, we've talked about this in another context. I think that's something we want to cover. But before we do, let's just acknowledge, thank you, Mary Aline, for your um, super chat donation. And also we've got another uh, question here. So let's put this at the top and take it. So it goes to what you were just saying about how now that we got money made it to the story. So the question is from Shaw's bot, I guess that's a handle. Uh, is it safe to say that if AI had not accepted PPP money, that nobody would have noticed or cared? Yes, I think that's true. Um, so the fact that we applied wasn't big news. And uh, the fact that we got it, that's the news. Um, and let's take one other question. This one's from Mary Aline. Thank you again um, for your super chat question. Uh, AI's staff and donors pay taxes. Does that play a role or is it a poor defense? How do you think of that? It, it plays, it certainly plays a role. And this is it, more generally in terms of thinking about the welfare state and the way in which it victimizes people, productive people, you have to think very broadly about it. So when we at ARI were thinking about whether we should apply or not, part of the whole context is, look, this, the, these shutdowns are affecting us. We had to close some of events we were holding and interacting with people, potential supporters and so on. We had to bring those events to a halt. We did some online and so on. It, and it partially reproduces the event. It doesn't fully reproduce the event. Many of our supporters have like real financial hardship. I mean, people in retail and not just small businesses and so on. Like if you own shopping malls and so on, everything's closed. It's tremendous financial damage. And for many, and then we have our, our employees and so on. And we have to think, and this is the nature of a mixed economy in a welfare state, not everyone can seek relief. So the people who can should take seriously, I'm able to, and maybe our supporters and donors who are losing millions of dollars, they can't. But if I can get some partial money and relief from the government and, and um, restitution for all the wrongs that these welfare state policies are committing. I can do it in the name of my donors. And similarly, the employees, they might not be able to apply directly. And, and the way this PPP program worked is we had to apply a, a particular individual, an employee who's worried, look, well, I might, uh, my job might come to an end because we can't pay and so on. They can't directly apply. So we, so, but we have to think about that. So we're able to, all these people are victims, including us and so on. And okay, this is a way to get some partial restitution. And that's part of what drove our decision. And so it's true that we pay tax, we pay sales taxes, payroll taxes and so on. That's relevant, but it's not the only consideration that is relevant in terms of thinking about this. 
So let's let's get to that question of the motivation behind some of the so the some of the shamers or people pointing fingers, because I think there's as you put it so the, 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 there's a taking of something as obvious that isn't obvious, and in fact the, the, on the record we're we're we've said our we've put our views explicitly in, in many forms that we're not. If you can't make the case that we're inconsistent in the way that they're trying to make. So what's actually going on here? What do you think is animating so much of this uh, shaming? Yeah, so if you think of shaming, it's you're trying to use a person's sense of morality against them. And it can be legitimate to say, like, you, you should feel guilty for what you're doing. And you're relying on the person's conscience and him thinking, yeah, what I'm doing is wrong and I shouldn't be doing this. So, so when you try to shame or induce guilt, it's, you should think of the, like, this is a very severe weapon and you should only do it if you're really sure that, oh yeah, that what the person's doing is wrong and I'm trying to use his sense of morality for him to see that something he's doing is wrong. <laughs> you can also wield shame um, as a weapon and you're counting on the person's sense of morality to undermine that person. This is something Ayn Rand talked about a lot. It's a theme in Atlas Shrugged and this happens over and over again in today's culture. And in this context, that's what they're trying to do. It's trying to use our sense of morality to, we're doing something wrong. They're not gonna tell us exactly what is wrong. And so it's, you should know what's wrong. Isn't it obvious that you're doing something wrong? You should feel guilt and so on. And, oh yeah, I mean, I guess I, maybe I should feel guilt. There's all this whole mob telling me everything I'm doing is wrong. So maybe I should refrain and maybe I should give the money back. Um, and so that's part of what is going on. But if you think what is distinctive about ARI, why are we making the headlines? I think it's right to say we're the only organization that morally, morally, so I'm putting morally opposes on principle the welfare state. So there are other people say like this is not economically right and this it's too costly and it's going to eventually bankrupt the U.S. But who other than Ayn Rand and so the Ayn Rand Institute who now is advocating her philosophy says the whole welfare state is morally corrupt. It should not exist. It's, it is a violation of the moral principles at the foundation of the United States. That's what we say and we argue it. And what this, the shaming is, is in effect to say to us, shut up. If you wanna say this, if you wanna attack the welfare state, you can't participate in anything the welfare state does. And as the welfare state grows and grows, it takes over more and more of life. And what they're trying to say to us is, well, to be consistent, you have to remove yourself from everything. So you can put it for this PPP program. It's if you criticize the government and government shutdowns and trillion dollar stimulus, then you shouldn't be eligible for any money. You shouldn't apply. It's a travesty that, that you were accepted. So you have the wrong views. Your ideological viewpoint is wrong, therefore you should be eligible for this money. And if you take this seriously, this is what it means. You can multiply the examples of what it's, I, I brought up public education. I'm against 
public education. I do not think government should control the educational system. If I voice that opinion, the logic of this kind of perspective is I can't go to public schools. I can't send my kids to public schools. The condition of going to a public school is I can't voice criticism of it. I can't say it shouldn't exist. Um, so I'm caught between this, and this is the issue of martyrdom. I'm caught between two very unpalatable things. Either I have to toe the party line that the welfare state is great, I'm not going to criticize it, I'm not going to say it shouldn't exist, or if I say that, I have to pay for public schools, I have to pay for things like the PPP program, I have to pay for Social Security, but I can't claim any of this. It's because my views are, uh, I would be a hypocrite, that's the thing, if I did. And that is so wrong and so, I mean, act, I, you want my moral estimate of it. It's so disgusting to do this, to say that it's, um, you're, you have to be a martyr. If you dare criticize the welfare state or put it in a little broadly, if you dare criticize the government, all these coercive programs that we've imposed on you Yes, you have to pay for them, but you can't participate in them. That is what their message is. And that's what the shaming, the ultimate goal is to inculcate that viewpoint. And it's, it's a monstrous viewpoint. You know, we were talking about this in another context. And one of the points you made, and it, this is in a piece that you're working on, I, that I, had, I saw a draft of, you, you, you triggered the context that if you think about what happened in China decades ago with the way in which they had full control, I mean, there still is this phenomenon. They just made it uh, electronic that you, you inform on, your, on the people who are not thinking correctly. And in East Germany, they had a, a massive surveillance system where they had informants everywhere, tens of thousands of people, husbands informing on wives, and they didn't even know it. And this idea that this is a way to, to disen, uh, disenfranchise or kind of marginalize anyone who is uh, who's at all critical of the regime or the state. And to me, that's part of it. So the, the way you raised this point in the other context was, this is a way, so sh it's a big shut up and, and stop doing what you're doing. Don't oppose what we're saying. To me, it's, it's, it's frightening because of those parallels, but it's also, it's a sign of bankruptcy in a certain way. Yeah, so if, if the, by the bankruptcy means they can either articulate, articulate what our hypocrisy supposedly is, they don't feel they need to make an argument. You put up some of the tweets, um, they're like, as you put it, they're, they drip with sarcasm as though this whole issue is self-evident. And if you read Ayn Rand's article, you'll see what it looks like to actually think about these kinds of issues versus toe the party religious line, this is what everyone says, this is what I've been taught, I'm not to question it, I'm just to echo it. Um, so they neither do that, nor do they articulate, okay, this is what is right about the welfare state, this is what is wrong about objectivism's critique of the welfare state. They don't feel the need to do that, that's what they want to bypass. So if that's what, if it's bankruptcy, it's intellectual bankruptcy in the sense that it's yeah, we're not going to argue for this anymore. We're going to disenfranchise you. We're going to take your money and then you can never get it back. That's, um, and that is, I mean, that is beneath a genuine intellectual. 
So I, I want to bring in a lot of the questions we have. There's a long list of questions. I'll, I'll try to combine some of them where I can. And, and then uh, I invite everyone who wants to submit questions. You can do it through Zoom. And of course, we've got the YouTube and Super Chat options. Thanks to those of you who've submitted questions that way. We appreciate your support. So a couple of questions about sort of the mechanics of how to think about this taking money from the government, whether through PPP or other programs as restitution. And I, I'm going to combine a couple of questions. Um, does it matter if what you receive is greater than what you submit, what you, what you were coerced into putting into the system? If you think about social security or PVP, you know, so there's a question of, well, whatever the Institute received, does it, have we over the lifetime of the Institute, have we, you know, been taxed in various ways to support that amount equal? And so it's one-to-one -one and therefore you're, and then, so there's that kind of, and the implication of that is if it's more than what you put in, or if it's, already spent then isn't the money coming from other people and aren't you kind of um furthering the system so there's two issues really one is does it matter if it's one-to-one -one or how do you think about the restitution and then if there is a dis uh, sort of a disparity between that isn't it really sort of in encouraging the system in some some way like that so on the first issue um and you can comment more on this as well it's, I don't think there's any way to compute this. So the issue is not now to go back through your past tax returns and receipts and try to figure out all the taxes you paid through the years. And then, okay, what am I getting from various government programs? And neither, you can't calculate either side of it. You can't calculate all you paid and all the hidden taxes you paid and the way that regulations have increased the cost of what you've had to pay. And so you can't calculate that side. You can't calculate the side of whatever you received from government and so on. But what's the post office worth to you? You get mail from it. How do you calculate? You can't, there's no such calculation. And this is a point that Ayn Rand stresses in her article. It's what she's advocating is not sit down for two months and try to get a big spreadsheet that you're calculating all this and make sure that it, it okay, you're not, the balance isn't too high or something like that. That's not the right perspective. And this is why it's primarily an intellectual issue. It's not an issue of whether if I apply for social security when I reach 65, is that helping perpetuate the system? It is not helping perpetuate the system. If you don't actively advocate against the system, and that means actively advocate, not say, well, if somebody asks you, I'm against social security, that this is your position and you communicate it where appropriate to people that I'm against it. If you actively advocate against it, vote for people who say they want to eventually phase it out and so on. If you do that, you're not actively supporting it. You're actively opposing the, the program. And that's the issue for her. It, when she says you have to be opposed to it, it's not um, if someone asks, yeah, I would say this or I would check this box on a government form. Yeah, I'm opposed to this. Give me the money. It's being genuinely opposed to it. And so it's an intellectual issue, not an issue of calculating the cost. And just to give one other concrete on what is so hard in terms of calculating the cost. So we're funded by contributors who want to see the message we're putting out amplified and, and really get out there. So they, it's like they're hiring a public spokesman. Um, think of all the, I mean, you know, some of our donor base, it's some very smart people, very productive people. If if they've in early in their years, they've lost 50,000 or 500,000 to government programs. 
what would they have grown that to in 10, 15, 20 years if they were able to keep that money rather than to give it to all kinds of, they don't know. You know it would be a lot given how productive they are. They don't know what new businesses would they have started and so So you can't figure out what was the damage to them. You can't put a dollar amount to it and you shouldn't try. And just to build on that, I think one of the other things that's unseen, if you think in terms of costs, uh, is the opportunities that are, don't exist but would or might exist if there were more private, if money remained in private hands and that there were, you know, imagine if there are more private schools, imagine if there are more private universities and uh, universities were operated differently because their government wasn't so involved. It's hard even to start the train of what, because at a certain point, it's too many what ifs, right? But, but there's a reality to it because you can see industries in another sector of the economy where government isn't there. And there's so much innovation. There's so much opportunity. Like if you think about the tech sector um, and if you kind of view it from that perspective, it, it, it's really incalculable. And it also, and this goes to the question, like sometimes people ask, well, you're a student, you didn't pay any taxes yet. You're not even working. But that, that misses the point that you you just inherited the world that other people made. You're not responsible for the fact that all these ir irrational laws in place and, and policies that are, you know, harming your parents and, and taking away from them, not only money, but opportunity and, um, and freedom. So there's a way in which you, even if you haven't even started contributing to this, uh, to these various programs, you already are enmeshed in it, partly as a victim, partly as a, as a, um, so, you know, quote, beneficiary, because no one really benefits from the system. So there's a way in which the, it's, it's unavoidable. It's hard even to compute because it's not, it's not even remotely calculable in dollar amounts. Um, let's take the other um, aspect. Yes, yeah, so you, you touched the point about is it if it's, there's a disparity. So let's take, uh, let me acknowledge uh, John E, who's uh, in the super chat, who's giving us a big thumbs up. And, and I guess it's three Australian dollars. Thank you for that. That's really cool. Uh, it's great to have audience all over the world. So there's a lot more questions. Let's try to get a few more in. Um, one question here is you mentioned other organizations who have come out and, and one of them, the most probably the most prominent is Cato and they, they put their position out in the Wall Street Journal. I don't agree with their position. I mean, I, I think the position is, there's problems with their position, but I mean, I respect them for articulating and they, and they, explain why they did it. There are other organizations that claim to stand for, to promote Ayn Rand's ideas and they, how do we, you know, we took this position and um, there are people who like Ayn Rand who have trouble thinking through this issue. So how would you kind of position us in that context? So I think there can be a genuine reaction and a bogus reaction. And let me set, let's take the genuine reaction first and then I'll talk a little bit about what I think is bogus posturing. Um, so the legitimate issue is if you understand what is wrong with welfare state programs and more broadly, if you understand what is wrong with the mixed economy. So one way to put what the objectivist position in politics is, in political philosophy is, is that there should be a separation of government and the economy in the same way and for the same reasons, Ayn Rand often formulated it like this, in the same way and for the same reasons as a separation of church and state. And one of the radical innovations of the American system of government is to separate consciously on principle, 
church from state. And if you think in prior, uh, prior systems, and so before the, the creation of the US, the, the state and church had been a met, uh, had been meshed together, entangled. And so there was all kinds of uh, religious influence on the state, state trying to control religion, persecute people. To, and that, what the, the founders and, and the, the best of the enlightenment thinkers understood is, you know, government shouldn't be involved in religion. That should be a private affair an issue of voluntary agreement. If you disagree with a sect or a religion, so if you're now turned an atheist, you can leave. You can't be persecuted. You certainly can't be burned at the stake. And religion shouldn't wield political power. It decisions should not be made based on your reading of the Bible and so on. So we separated these out. To separate out state and economy means government doesn't control businesses labor tells you at what wage you can hire someone um, on what whether an uber driver has to be can be on contract or has to be considered an employee and so these are private issues contractual issues voluntary issues so all kinds of ways in which the government controls the economy if you separate them it can't do this and also people in the economy businessmen so can't buy political favors when the two are so entangled as they are today, it's a very difficult um, environment to navigate. And one rightly feels like for all kinds of things I do, there's sort of government strings attached. The government's in the background telling me, you know, if you make all these people contractor, like Uber or Lyft, if you take, and this is happening in California, if you make them contractor and don't treat them like employees, we don't really like that. And we're going to put some pressure on you and we might pass a law against you if you don't volunteer, like in quotes, voluntarily do this. And so, so people rightly feel like if I get involved in the government, including getting money, so such in relief, I've reviewed as restitution funds, there's going to be strings attached and that's going to be really difficult to navigate. So, and there are people who rightly and legitimately worry about that and think the best thing to do is no, I'm not going to participate in these programs like the PPP program. And you know, at ARI, we thought a lot about, okay, are there strings attached here? Are we going to have to compromise and tow a government line? And we read about what the, the supposed requirements are and so on. But that's a real issue. And if people are thinking about that and saying, no, I don't want to do this because there's, I think there's either now strings or there's going to be strings later on attached to this. That's a legitimate concern, and I have sympathy for a decision of people saying, no, the easiest thing is just, I'm not going to get involved in that. So that's genuine, I think. Now, I think you take seriously what Ayn Rand's arguing, that she's arguing, yes, take the issue of strings attached seriously, but take seriously also, if it's all the good people say, look, no, I'm not going to get involved in this, I'm not going to take this money, you have to, it's not like this money's not going to be spent. It's going to be spent only on your opponents and antagonists and so on. And you have to think about that seriously as well. But so that's a genuine reaction. But there's the bogus uh, and in the end, I think fraudulent posturing is we're the people of self-responsibility. We're independent. We won't take any government thing. We won't participate in anything. And 
and and there's been organizations and organizations that I view as fraudulent, but they consider themselves objectivists saying this kind of thing. Um, and it's it's bogus posturing because part of what the mixed economy means is it's impossible to do that. If you really took that seriously, whenever the government's involved, I'm not going to participate. I'm not going to drive on public roads. I'm not, if, uh, the, if I get things from the post office, I'm going to burn the mail without opening it. Um, I'm not, I can't afford private school, but I'm not going to use the public schools. And so if you really went through this whole list, part of what it means an expanding welfare state and a growing mixed economy is the government's involved everywhere. And if you're really saying, oh no, I'm self-reliant and so on, I'm not involved in any of this, um, you would die. <clears throat> and that, in from the other side, the, this, the motivation of saying, okay, you're a hypocrite if you're involved, it's precise, it's shut up, but in the end, it's disappeared. Um, you can't use healthcare because it's government controlled. You can't get an education because it's government controlled. Um, you can't get funds, relief funds, because it's government controlled. You can't, won't be able to do anything because government's involved in everything. And if you're against government being involved in it, to participate in any of this, you're a hypocrite. So you can't do it. So you basically have to go away and die. <clears throat> and they're post they play into that in effect of these people posturing. So I want to, uh, there are way more questions. I, I'm, I'm sorry, we're, we're not going to be able to get to them. I want to get a few more in. Uh, so one, uh, um, one point that was raised uh, that I think I just want to flag it, and I think it's worth acknowledging. Um, if you think back to the tweets that you, we talked about earlier on and sort of the assumptions baked into the, a lot of them, um, so the, one of the premises was that Ayn Rand is the standard conservative who's all about pointing fingers at so-called welfare queens and shaming people for accepting government money, shaming uh, businesses for having to um, be involved in government. And, and I think, number one, what's your reaction to that? But number two, um, there's... I mean, she's on record saying this, like she's not at all about, I mean, she has a moral view about the programs and then she has advice about how to think about the moral issue involved, but it's not at all my, what I read for in her work. What's your, I mean, you had a really strong reaction to the Twitter thread. Yeah, um, on that aspect of it, I think there's two things going on um, and it's hitting close to home. So this is the issue that she's a critic of the welfare state. But as you said, there's a sort of translation of it into she's the standard conservative. She's not the standard conservative. She has a moral and individualistic perspective on human beings, on life, on what's proper, and therefore what's improper in regard to what the government is doing. So she said it, you can take social security, unemployment insurance, if you're against these programs. So the idea that she throws uh, or denigrates anybody who gets social security. And so she got, took social security. So that's not the perspective. What she's denigrating is the people who advocate and push these programs because what they're advocating and pushing is it's legitimate for us to say, okay, we're taking money from Peter to give it to Paul. And we get to decide that. And you don't have a say about that. And we get, and she's, and, and some of the, what people have brought up both in the Twitter and in some of the news stories is she calls some of these people parasites. 
the people she's calling parasites are the people who advocate for that. And what they're advocating is that people get to be parasites. They get to live off of others. The, the description fits and it makes people uncomfortable that she's willing morally to call this out. If you advocate for these programs, if you're like Paul Krugman who advocates for these, what you're advocating is that people have a right to be parasites. And that strikes them as, oh, how do I answer that? That's, that's not a standard conservative criticism. So the easiest thing to paint is to say that she, oh, she attacks anybody who gets social security and look at the hypocrisy. She attacks everybody who gets social security, but then she, when she was old, applies for it and so on. But that's, that's um, an attempt to bypass our argument. So we're, we're coming up on our time. So I want to uh, put one more issue on the table and, and this is drawing on questions we've received. Thanks everyone for all your questions. I'm sorry we didn't get to all of them, but we'll, we'll do our best and we can have a follow up if people are interested in the topic. So you mentioned the issue of, it, it, it's an intellectual issue fundamentally that you have to think about both your integrity and then how, what it means to support the system that you regard as unjust and wrong. So let me, break this into two issues. So one question is about the strings that might be attached to some of these government programs. So, so one questioner we have is, what if the strings attached have to do with religion? Does that affect things? And then the second one I want to put um, is, you know, how would you summarize Rand's view on this issue of integrity while taking government money? Like, how does she think about that uh, more broadly than just sort of the strings attached? Um, so on the first, I don't know, I don't know if I'm getting where the question's coming from. So I'm not sure what's distinctive about religion. So if I broaden it and say, is getting government money, if it starts to influence what you can and cannot say, what ideas you can hold, advocate, research, um, that you have to be very wary of that and that you have to turn down the funds if that is what is happening. And the article that we referred to, it's the question of scholarships. And so it's more, it deals with some things like social security, unemployment insurance, but it's more focused on this kind of issue of getting scholarships uh, from that's partly government funded. And today the context would be more government loans to attend school and so on. But it's in the context of education. She brings up, if you're a scientist, so much of research now, particularly fundamental research, is funded by government. So does that mean you, if, if you're an advocate of laissez-faire capitalism and a separation of government from running all these kinds of things, government from education, from economy, from uh, science, does it mean you can't apply for any of these things? And her view again is, no, if government has taken over all these things, you can. But if they start putting um, uh, conditions on this and, so, and you have to come out with a certain conclusion and don't you dare buck this trend or challenge this idea. You have to be very sensitive to that. And her view is, and she has a number of articles on this, it, a mixed economy, it more and more controls in subtle ways people's intellect, the ideas that they can hold and so on. So she has, she has an article the establishing of the establishment that is very interesting on this. That's in her book, Philosophy, Who Needs It? So that's a real issue that you have to pay attention to. And she thinks, I think she thinks it's, that's the central issue that you really have to pay 
attention to. And so in terms of thinking of it, you put the other question as, in terms of your integrity, it's your intellectual integrity. And this is a point she makes fairly often, that when people sell their soul, it's rarely um, some big decision. It can be, but it's much more often little compromise by little compromise by little compromise. And then you find five years down the road, I've sold my soul. And that's what you have to be on the lookout here for is, is there, it's the, the strings attached might be subtle and okay, we, we got your compliance on this issue. And then next time it's on some other issue that we require compliance and obedience. To, and you have to be really on guard against that. But this is part of the reason to be against the welfare state programs in the first place. Her view is this is inherent in a mixed economy, that it is seeking to control these kinds of things. And it's very bad. And if you understand that, you have to be opposed to these programs. Uh, so we, as I said, we have a lot of questions still. Um, we can take maybe another minute or so before we have to wrap up. So one more question is connected to the details of the PPP uh, the program itself. And one question is asking, of the people shaming the recipients, why is there no real focus on who, who would get, who, who benefits actually from the funds? And the person saying, well, it, isn't it the employees who are in effect? It's not the organization. It's just, well, this is, and I think, I haven't read the rules, but I, from what I understand, it's, if you're following the letter of the, of the law as we're doing, it has to be used for payroll primarily, if not exclusively. So it's not as if it, it, I mean, it benefits the organization only in the extent in which you're able to keep those staff and retain them during this crisis. So, I mean, do you think there's anything behind the fact that that isn't central, like in this whole frenzy about pointing fingers at the recipients? Yes. So I have saw a few comments from people who I think are more reasonable about well, but wasn't this program about keeping employees employed? And isn't like isn't ARI as an organization doing this just like other organizations? So the fact that it's it the outrage is not that okay, we built the government out of money. Like it's we're supposed to be doing this, but we didn't I mean we had to furlough employees and then we brought them back when we got PPP money. If there was some allegation, oh, we didn't do this and what we're doing is fraudulent, okay. But that there's not even an allegation like that. It's, no, you shouldn't have got the money because ideologically you have the wrong views. That's what it amounts to. And that um, just shows for, I mean, this is in, on the issue of motivation, that what's driving it is not, okay, here were some people who are going to be in, unemployed and real hardship and okay, they've been able to be spared that. And isn't this like, wasn't this a relief fund? Isn't that what it's supposed to do? That's not their primary focus. It's we get to decide who gets money and who doesn't. And this isn't what I would have decided. It's outrageous that you got money. You're ideologically corrupt. And I looked a little bit at the, I mean, it's thousands and thousands and thousands of organizations. And the idea that we're the only ideological organization, there's all kinds of religious organizations, environmental organizations. So where's the headlines that they, they got it? And this is why you can get it. No, the headlines, the Ayn Rand Institute, because presumably 
these religious organizations, environmental organizations, they don't oppose the welfare state. It's we who dare oppose the welfare state. And that what, what makes it beyond the pale for them. And that's the motivation, not did we actually bring back and help out some employees in the sense that we could keep them on the payroll as a result? That's not what they care about. All right, well, we're at time. And uh, thanks, Ankar, for joining. I just want to um, let people know that, you know, as you put it in the article with Harry Binswanger, which I'll, I'll share on the screen in a moment, the, the fact that the Institute uh, accepted PP applied and accepted PP does not affect. In fact, it's the opposite. It does not affect our position. It's not going to water anything down. On the on the contrary, we're not going anywhere. We're not going to shut up <laughs> as much as people might want us to, and we're going to be even more vocal than ever uh, because we think now more than ever our mission is critical. So thanks to all of you who are joined us today and who are listening. Thanks to those of you in the super chat who supported us with your questions and donations. And for everyone else, um, if you're interested in the sort of the wider issue of what we were talking about today, the context for the shaming, uh, go and read the article to take or not to take, which is available on newideal.org, uh, sorry, new our website where the journal is housed. And of course, I think that a really important article to read, which we've been talking about throughout today's conversation is Ayn Rand's essay, The Question of Scholarship, which I think it's, it covers a wide range of issues and how to think about the application of moral principles in, in today's context. Uh, finally, let me encourage all of you who are watching on YouTube to subscribe to our channel. You see the, the you go to our channel, you see the, the red button to subscribe, please do that. And then make sure to click on the bell so you get notifications about upcoming uh, broadcasts and new video releases. And if you're listening on our podcast and you enjoy it, please subscribe through your mobile app and tell your friends, leave a review. And I hope you'll join us next time for a new Idea Live. See you. Thanks, Lon. Thanks, everyone, for joining. You've been listening to New Ideal, a podcast from the Ayn Rand Institute. If you like what you hear, leave us a review, share with a friend, and subscribe to our other podcasts. This podcast was made possible by donors to the Ayn Rand Institute. Help support this podcast by becoming an ARI member. Go to aynrand.org forward slash membership.